Good morning. Uh, I chose this song uh, called Come As You Are by David Crowder. Uh, and he wrote this song about uh, the prodigal son. And uh, I don't know, it was kind of crazy how it, uh, I, I originally planned on doing uh, Great Are You Lord by uh, We Are the Sons and Daughters. And uh, I just read my Bible the other day and I read this song, I read that, that story and opened my music binder and this was the first thing in my music binder. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come and rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your chains. All who are broken, lift up your face. that endures earth has no sorrow that heaven can cure so lay down your burdens lay down your shame all who are broken lift up your face no wanderer come home you're not too far
Thank you very much, Tyler. Thank you, Brother Vance and our beautiful, wonderful musicians. I said beautiful. I, did you hear me? Thelma? Jules? Where'd she go? There you are. Yes. Well, if you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Hey, when he said, y'all sing along with me, did you say, man, he's singing way too high for me to sing along with him? I didn't. That's right in my range right there. That's my wheelhouse. Psalm 119. My wife and I here a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated 19 years of marriage. August 1st is our anniversary. I know some of you have been married much longer than that, and uh, we congratulate you on that. But uh, we are happy to say and blessed to say how we've made it to 19 years. And I started thinking this week about this ring that I wear. If you're married, you probably have one of these rings on too. She gave it to me when we got married. It's representative, this ring is. It's a representation of the vows that she said to me when she gave it to me. I know a lot of times we get that backwards, that it's actually a, a remembrance of my vows, but it's not. Remember, if you think about your wedding ceremony, the, the person puts it on your ring as they're saying their vows to you. So it's a representation of her vows to me. You know, she put it on my finger and she said, with this ring, I thee wed. And I promise to cherish you and love you and honor you and clean up after you and cook all your favorite meals. And Wait, that, that wasn't the vows, was it? It was something close to that. Uh... Well, anyway, this ring, though, is only a symbol. It doesn't actually, it's not actually the vow itself. It's only a symbol of those vows. The actual promise, the promise of the assurance of those vows is in the covenant relationship that she and I share. And it is in the covenant relationship that God created between she and I when we were married. We were created into a different union. We were no longer Kathleen and Brian. We were Kathleen. I don't know how you put those two names together. Likewise, you see the envelope up on the screen there. That's kind of a, a throwback to medieval times when kings would want to send a message to another king they would put that message into an envelope and they would put wax on there and then they would have a special signet ring and they would press that ring into the wax and it would leave a symbol. And that symbol was a representation that what was inside that envelope was the word of the king and him only. It was a promise. It was a promise of assurance that what was inside that envelope came from the king. Assurance of salvation is a big deal. Knowing that you know is as important as anything we will face in our lives. And what we have in this morning's scripture is a promise of assurance. So if you struggle with doubting your salvation, then this message is for you. And the psalmist has a very important relief for you and a relief for us to those doubts and what we see lined out in this scripture. Let's read our scripture now. It's Psalm 119. We're looking specifically at verses 41 through 48. He says, verse 41, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For I have hoped in your ordinances, so shall I keep your law continually, forever and ever. 
And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Would you pause in prayer with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its blessing. We thank you for your presence in this place, and we pray, Lord, that we would be changed now from the inside out, that you would get me out of the way, and Lord, that you would speak loudest to us this morning. Change us, let us not walk out of here the same way we walked in. And it is in your name I pray, Lord Jesus, amen. The next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, starting this section, is the letter Va. I know it looks like wall, wow, something like that, but it's actually pronounced Va. And in the Hebrew alphabet, this letter doesn't usually have a significant role in regards to words in the sense that it begins a lot of big words. What it actually does is it actually usually attaches itself to another Hebrew word. And it acts as a conjunction. A conjunction. And so a lot of times in the Hebrew scripture, when you see a sentence start with the word and, what that is is that Hebrew letter va. And, and it's a funny looking symbol too. I should have put a picture up there on the screen of the symbol, the, the Hebrew letter va. It looks like a nail. It looks like one of those old uh, nails that you would see that didn't have a complete head but had kind of an angled one-sided head to it. And that's fitting because this morning we are essentially hitting the nail on the head. Because I, I, I mean, I believe there are a lot of people who struggle with this subject of the assurance of their salvation. They may not want to admit it. They may not want to own up to that. We're afraid to talk about this subject of doubting one's salvation, but we need to talk about it because there are attacks that we have faced all the time from the enemy. There are attacks that we face all the time from the enemy telling us, you can't be saved. There's no way you could be saved. And, and because of our own indwelling self-doubts, it's an issue that I believe more people deal with than we talk about. And, and that's essentially the, 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 the main theme of this scripture, is the assurance of our salvation. The assurance of our salvation. It's not found in dates. It's not found in specifically worded prayers that we repeat after somebody else. It's not found in the name of a person that was at the front of the invitation place. Or even their special prayer that they led us through. And whether we realize it or not, there are people who struggle with this, this issue regular. It, it's, it's one of the reasons there are so many different denominations out there that will teach you there's no way you can know for sure you're saved, which is a lie. There is a way. There is a promise of assurance found in the Word of God. It's why there's also so many denominations that will teach you that you can lose your salvation, which is a lie. There is a promise of assurance found in the Word of God. I would also say that if this describes you this morning, you're in good company. Because obviously the psalmist struggled with this issue too. He requests assurance of salvation from the Lord. He says in the very first verse, very verse, verse, verse 41, he says, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord. God's mercies as pertaining to salvation. God's mercies as to pertaining to forgiveness. It provides hope 
regarding mercy, forgiveness of sins, security in our relationship with the Lord. And of course, we must understand that the hope of our salvation is not based on a feeling. The hope of our salvation is based on the Lord. It's based on the promises found in His Word. The Hebrew word there that is translated mercy is found throughout the Old Testament. It's the word hesed. Now, some of your versions don't have the word mercy. Some of your words have love or loving kindness or some derivative of those two, maybe even kindness or the goodness of the Lord, something of that nature. And it is translated throughout the Old Testament as that. Sometimes it's, it's seen as mercies. Sometimes it's loving kindness. Sometimes it's love. Sometimes it's even devotion. So you could read that verse, let your devotion come also to me, O Lord. He's wanting assurance. He's wanting the Lord to give him, supply him with a confidence in the salvation that he believes he has. If you're doubting your salvation or if you are in constant need of assurance, I would encourage you to do what the psalmist is doing here. He is going to the Lord. And he's going to the Lord's Word. God's Word has so much about our assurance of salvation. So much about this promise of assurance. So many verses that talk about hesed, about God's mercy, about God's loving kindness, about His grace, about His salvation. The Word of God is a fountain overflowing with the assurances that God's sure hand of salvation is on those who turn to Him in faith. And let me just say, we were never meant to live in doubt, and we certainly were not meant to live in fear. We were meant to live in confidence in the Word of God and its promises. There's just too many verses written for us to have this insurance. In fact, this week's warrior word is 1 John 5, 11, 12. Now, I've been easy on you. The first two warrior word verses were short. Romans 6, 23, most of us... Memorize that when we were kids, right? This week was Psalm 119.11, and once again, I forgot to get a volunteer to say it out loud during the worship service, but I bet a lot of you have that memorized. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm 119.11. But this week's, whoo, it's two verses. Can we handle it? Psalm, uh, 1 John 5.11.12, and this is the testimony that we have eternal life. This life is found in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. God inspired John, the disciple, the apostle John, to write that in the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, so that we could turn there, so we could memorize and write it on our heart and have that promise of assurance. That verse and so many other verses don't, they don't say, and this is the testimony, we might have eternal life. We could possibly have, we may have eternal It says, and this is the testimony, that we, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. If you've got the Son, you've got life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Have you got Jesus? Jesus gives us another verse, John chapter 5, verse 24. Same writer, different book, but Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. John, quoting Jesus directly, 
He doesn't put any wordage in there that leaves any doubt to the mind. He who hears me and believes him, that is God, who sent me, Jesus Christ, has, not might has, might could possibly have, might maybe has, but has, it is definitive, has eternal life. And so I'd say to you, if your issue is one of assurance, go running to the word of God, not to good counselors, this is the best counselor you can find, not to wise people, for this is the best wisdom you will ever find. Not to internet sites, running to the word of God which contains that which is an assurance, a promise of assurance. My second point on finding that assurance, that promise of assurance is more subtle. Because the psalmist doesn't just go running to the word of God, but we have to remember Psalm 119, the entire chapter is a prayer. This guy is praying. Everything that you read in Psalm 119 is this guy's prayer to the Lord. We must remember that the psalmist is pouring out his heart, expressing his heart, his soul to the Lord. If he is being attacked, if he is overwrought with guilt or grief or angst, he takes it to the Lord in prayer. We can do a lot about our lack of assurance simply by consistently going to the Lord in prayer. I tell you, if this is your struggle, you struggle with that promise of assurance, the answer is not found in talking to a person, it is talking to the Lord God, who hears everything you say. And so just as the psalmist says right here, and this is why I say he, I think he's struggling with it, because he says, Lord, let your mercies, your loving kindness, your devotion pour out to me your salvation according to your word. Lord, I need some confidence today. I'm having a little doubt about my salvation. Pour it out to me. Talk to me about it. Let me know. Lord, give me some encouragement. He's not just asking for a one-time act of mercy. He is asking for that lifetime gift of the Lord's mercies on his life. Later in verse 43, he states to the Lord, in his prayer, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Meaning, in his prayer, he knows that the assurance of his hope of salvation can be found and confirmed in God's word. And so he is saying, Lord, what I have found in your word that gives me that assurance, that promise of assurance, don't take it out of my mouth. Don't take it out of my mouth. Don't take it out of my word. Let me keep on understanding it, reminding myself. Do you ever talk to yourself about the things you need to be reminded of? I know I do. Right? Don't forget to get eggs. Don't forget to melt. Those kinds of reminders. Don't take it out of my mouth, Lord. The reminder of the promise of assurance that I have. And he's going to wait on the Lord to re-energize his faith and his hope through God's ordinances. Another word for God's word. Lord, I will wait on your word. I'm not going to look for my confidence of salvation from anything else but from you and from your word. Prayer. And Bible study, right? I know you're like, wait, is that it? Is that the promise of is that where I find this promise of assurance? Listen, we could give you all kinds of complicated answers, but none of them would be right. This is the right answer. Prayer, Bible study. Prayer, Bible study. It is the answer. And right now I'm applying this answer to the promise of assurance. That God's word is full of that assurance. And we have his word that his word 
get that? We have his word, God's word, that his word affirms this promise of assurance of salvation. That if you will invest your life in his word and call out to God, he will not forsake you. Listen, we call out to him for everything else. Lord, I need help financially. Lord, I need help. I've got this sickness. Lord, my family, over and over. Lord, I need this assurance of salvation. I don't want to doubt this anymore. And this isn't easy because we are such a hands-on type of people. We want to fix everything ourselves. But when we go to the Lord's Word and we go to the Lord in prayer, what we essentially are doing is saying, it's not a do-it-yourself do it sort of situation. As much as I am a DIYer, I can't DIY this. Lord, I need your hands on this situation. The hope of our assurance is in the promise of His mercy and salvation, and it can only be affirmed by His Word. And I want to beg you, I want to ask you, dig deeply into God's Word Cry out to Him for that hope, for that assurance. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. I mean, I've only talked about verses 41 through 43, just briefly touched about. And that essentially is the main point here, is this promise of assurance. But what he does in the remainder of this scripture is he points out the benefits of the assurance of salvation, the benefits of this promise of assurance. So normally at the end of my sermons, I usually say something like this, so what? Why does this matter? Well, instead of it being at the end of my sermon, sorry, I'm not at the end. This is in the midway part. So what? Why is it so important that we have this promise of assurance? Well, he gives us the so what, starting in verse 42. In verse 42, he says, so shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me. One of the benefits of having this promise of assurance is answers for the reproach. Answers for the reproach. This is a recurring word in this psalm, isn't it? We've talked about reproach, how it means shame, how it means uh, guilt or grief. Some of your translations, though, state this word in verse 42 is taunt. I will have an answer for he who taunts me. The idea of this word is the same as reproach. But how does the promise of assurance of our salvation give an answer for shame or taunt? It really is a multitude of ways that this affects how he responds to taunts against our faith and against our hope. But there is one particular taunt I want to address. And I think this probably could be a sermon in and of itself. Answers for the reproach. Answers for the taunt. This taunt that I want to address, though, doesn't come from an outside source. It comes from within. The taunt that comes from within us. You don't need to show your hands, but I wonder if any of you have ever been taunted with this thought within yourself. That is not how a Christian acts. How can you call yourself a believer? How can you call yourself a follower of Christ? That's not how a Christian acts. How can you say you're saved and do a thing like that? And I believe many people have these types of taunts that come from within. These accusations against themselves come every, coming every time they commit a sin, whether incidental or on purpose. We were talking the other night about people having certain dispositions they were born with. I can't remember who I was talking about that with. Certain things that they're born with, and some people have them and some people don't. You know, I know some people, man, they, once they pray to receive Christ, they've been secure in their salvation ever since. They've never had a problem with doubt whatsoever. Praise the Lord, that's their disposition. But I know a lot of people who doubt their salvation. 
I had a, a really good friend who was a Southern Baptist pastor, and his wife told me, and, and him, we were talking together, and she said, every time a pastor says the prayer of salvation, I go ahead and repeat it because I'm just a little bit scared. That's a disposition for doubt. It's a disposition for that within them. It's a taunt that comes from within. I believe a lot of people have that type of taunt and accusation against themselves. They're the same people that doubt themselves in everything. You're not good enough. They don't love you. That taunt comes at them and attacks them on a regular basis. That's not the way we were meant to be. That is not what God's salvation was meant to be like in us. You hear Paul telling Timothy, you were not given a spirit of timidity, but of boldness and of power. That is what we're supposed to be living. That's the victory of salvation we're supposed to be living in. But instead, we're constantly berated by that taunt within. And what the psalmist is saying here is, listen, I've got the promise of assurance from God's word. Now I've got an answer for that taunt. And the best answer for the taunt against us comes from this. Not from human reasoning, not from a date that I wrote in the front of my Bible, but it comes from the assurance given to us by the word of God. The next benefit is found in verses 45 through 44 through 45. The psalmist celebrates his liberty. He states, So I shall keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Now, to some of this might seem a little paradoxical, right? How do you have freedom in keeping the law? Uh, but what the psalmist is celebrating is that because he has his promise of assurance, he knows that keeping the law is not his prerequisite of salvation, but instead it is the confirmation of his salvation. You understand what I'm saying? His assurance of salvation is found in the promises of God, and so he can keep the law with a happy heart and with liberty because he realizes keeping the law doesn't give him his salvation. It is the confirmation of his salvation. At the men's retreat this weekend, someone made this statement, so I'm going to steal it. He said, when I was lost, I ran to sin. Now that I am saved, I run from sin. And that, in a nutshell, is the difference in how a lost person and a redeemed person views the law of God. There is liberty in the promise of assurance because we are, we are no longer entangled by our evil desires and the temptations to commit sin. But we are also liberated because we are no longer guilty of the punishment of sin. The punishment was paid for by Christ. And so we are free from all of the issues of our sin, both the entanglements and the temptation to do it, but also the punishment for it. There is great liberty in the assurance of our salvation because we know the law is a happy, delightful thing for me to do. I love the law because it is the confirmation of my salvation. So if we're misusing our, and understand this liberty is only preserved in truly liberty when a person lives in it. And what I mean by that is that when we are not living in liberty, what we are doing is misusing that liberty. And misusing liberty looks like this. We cast off every restraint. We cast off any ideas that perhaps the Word of God has this kind of guidance for our life. And instead, we say things like this. Well, I have great liberty in the Lord now. I can do whatever I want. God promised me for forgiveness. That's misusing that liberty. That's not what the psalmist is saying. 
He's saying, now I'm truly free to obey God's word. Because when you live like a person saying, well, I'm forgiven so I can do whatever I want, you're not really living like a liberated person. You're living like a person under the slavery of sin. And I'm going back to the taskmaster. I'm going back to the, the evil slave master that is sin. And that's not the liberty that comes with the promise of assurance. The, the third benefit is this. The third benefit of the promise of assurance has to do with the first one. The first one had to do with taunts. They were answers for the accusations that we face for our faith. It was a defense, if you will. In the promise of assurance, we find our defense. But this third one is, in the promise of assurance, we find our offense. Every good team needs a defense and an offense. The Lord gives us that defense and offense. I, I took the particular slant that those taunts come from within and how we can face those taunts through the confidence of our salvation from Christ. But here in verse 46, the psalmist talks about something different. The psalmist experiences another confidence, the, the offense that comes from the promise of assurance. He says in verse 46, I will speak of your testimonies before kings and will not be ashamed. Now some commentators take this as a clue that the psalmist of this chapter is indeed David. And he was talking about those moments that he would be spending time with other kings. He was a king, he would be with other kings. And that there was, would be those that David was on an equal footing with. He would not be ashamed, and so therefore he would share the word of God with them. And that's a fine application. Certainly we should feel the ability to share the word of God with those that we are on equal footing with. But what I see here is, is not a, an opportunity to share the word of God with those we are on equal footing with, but when I think of a king, I think of that upper echelon, right? You see, it's easy to talk to the word of the Lord with a beggar. It is easy to talk to the word of the Lord with a drug addict. It is easy to talk about the word of the Lord with a homeless person. But you meet somebody who is uppity-uppity, right? It's kind of hard to talk to them about the word of the Lord. Why? Because there is no need in their life. And sometimes it's hard to talk to them about the word of the Lord because we're a little intimidated by that upper echelonness of whoever they are. Right? I mean, we'll talk to someone who's on the down and out, but maybe a famous person, we might be a little hesitant to talk to them. We might even live with the assumption they already know the word of the Lord. Because why? Because their life is all put together. And so, whether they're low on the totem pole or high on the totem pole, if we have the promise of assurance, we should have the boldness to share the word of God with them no matter who they are. I believe the psalm is saying that because of the promised assurance he has received from the word of God, he has now got the boldness he did not have before, and he will confidently share God's word with anyone, anywhere, anytime. No matter if they're homeless or the upper echelon of society. And a really important point of the scripture, he says, I will do so without shame. And while this word does translate to shame, what this also is used for in the Hebrew language is to communicate delay. Delay. And so you could translate this scripture as, I will do so without delay. I'm a 
an expert at procrastination. I'm an expert at putting off today and tomorrow and the next day and right the next week and good grief. But what the Word of God, what the promise of assurance does to us is it energizes us to no longer procrastinate, to talk about the goodness of God that we get from His Word, to get from His Word. The next benefit is delight. And you might be thinking, delight again? We've talked about this word over and over. That's a great word. Finding delight in God's word. This recurring theme, this this idea that we find delight in God's word. It's going to keep repeating itself. Why? Well, remember that word delight means satisfaction. It means to be pleased. It means to find pleasure in. Because of the promise of assurance from Scripture, the psalmist finds delight in the commandments, which he loves. Why is that, I wonder? If the promises he received about his assurance came from the Word, and that's a really good thing, if he found freedom and boldness and reprieve from the taunt, and that's a really good thing, he found all that from the promise of assurance in God's Word, Wouldn't you go back to that which satisfied you to begin with? Think of it like this. Think of your favorite burger place. I'm thinking about my favorite burger place. It's closed today, so I can't go there. You think about that favorite burger place. The first time you went there, or second or third, you're like, that's a good burger. And, And you were satisfied and you were delighted in that burger. But then after a while, you started thinking, well, you know what? I know what that burger tastes like. And you were no longer delighted just by the taste of that burger. You were delighted in the thought of that burger. And you were delighted in the idea of going back to that burger place, a house, perhaps, burger house. He never gives me free burgers. I don't know why I'm always putting a plug in for that place. Anyway. But you find pleasure, you find delight in going back there and thinking about it. And it's no longer the food that gives you satisfaction and warm fuzzies. It is the thought of the food that gives you satisfaction and warm fuzzies. The Word is the divine food of God. We find delight not only in consuming God's Word, but in thinking upon it. Remember what I said last week about delight. Generally, we find delight in the things we love. That's what the psalmist is now confirming. He says, I have found uh, found delight in your commandments, which I love. If we're not finding delight in God's word, in the promises of assurance, I'll repeat what I said last week. It's a love problem. It's a love problem. We need to go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I need help with this love problem of not delighting in your commandments, of not delighting in the promise of assurance. The promise of assurance of salvation should should give us the warmest fuzzy we ever had. And we should love that above all else. I mean, not above God, obviously, but when we talk about loving God's word, promise of assurance found in God's word is something we should fall absolutely in love with. There's a lot I don't know, but I know this. God's word promises, if I have the Son, I have life. I don't need to know anything else, really. I mean, 
there's a lot I need to know, but does anything really trump that? The final benefit of this promise, real quickly, is worship. He says in that final verse, My hands also I lift up to your commandments. It's a posture of worship, not necessarily of singing, not necessarily of a worship service. It is a posture of worship because what it communicates is, I am eagerly longing for you, O Lord. You see, the promise of salvation, the assurance, the promise of our assurance of salvation, what it does is it gives us a taste of the everlasting. It gives us a taste of heaven. That taste is not nearly enough. We are earnestly longing for the presence of God in our life. And so what that promise of assurance says is, this is what I have to look forward to, but I don't have full realization of it yet. Boy, I cannot wait. That's why you hear some of these wonderful old saints saying stuff like this, even now, come Lord Jesus, come. It's because they are longing for the presence of God. They're longing to be out of this place. They're tired of the taunts. They're tired of the offenses. They're tired of the the horrible things that happen in this world. And they're ready. They're eagerly longing to be in the presence of that perfect good, Jesus Christ. And the promise of assurance leads us to understand, I have a taste of it now. I will fully realize it someday when this life is over. But we can't truly worship if we don't have that promise of assurance. We can go through the emotions. We can go through the songs. We can sing the words. But when we sing a song like, Oh, victory in Jesus, we don't truly understand or comprehend or grasp that victory. Or when we sing a song like, There's something about that name, we don't truly grasp what it is about that name. What's something about that name? There is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. And because of that, man, it just frees me up to worship. And we start singing songs like I'm saved, saved, saved with a whole different meaning. Or how great thou art with a whole different meaning. Because we praise the Lord God Almighty, we realize nobody has ever loved me this much. Nobody has ever done so much for me. Does this describe your worship? Does it describe an expression of your love for God, of His commandments, and the promise of assurance you have because of His Word and your relationship with Him? We're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to have a time of response, a time for you to respond to God's Word and the Holy Spirit. I want to go back to what I said at the very beginning. If you've ever been taunted with that phrase, well, that's not how a Christian acts. There's no way you could really be a Christian if you do something like that. God never draws you to salvation with a phrase like that. I think I can say that pretty confidently. What the Word of God says is that God draws you in with the promise of love and forgiveness and mercy, of restoration to your relationship with the Lord God Almighty. He draws you in with the the touch of the Holy Spirit, a firm tug on the heart. And If you're feeling that tug this morning, it's not just doubt that you're feeling, it is lostness. And we, we want to sew that up. We, we want you to sew that up, to hit the nail on the head this morning. Understand the difference between a conviction of, that just comes from doubt and a conviction 
that just that comes from truly the Holy Spirit talking to you. We want you to do that during this time of invitation. And so I'll be down here, Brother Kenneth, Brother Vance, we're all down here. My wife is down here. There's somebody for you to talk to if you need to talk to someone. There's prayer benches for you to come and pray at. And we want you to we want you to respond however the Lord is leading you to respond. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your time, uh, for your word. And for this time together, we thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence in this place. And Lord, I pray that we would all just respond honestly and earnestly to you. That we would come running to you. And Lord, if we have this doubt, this constant nagging taunting that's going on, that Lord, we would understand the answer to that taunt is found in your word and in our relationship with you. But Lord, if it's not a taunt, if someone here is hearing that calm, still voice saying, you've never trusted in me as Lord and Savior, then, Lord, we pray they would respond to that calling this morning and not hesitate. That's the most important decision that anybody will ever make. We pray your will would be done. Your Holy Spirit would speak to us. It's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.